Once Upon a Time, Season 6, Episode 9 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I have said the incantations using the fairy language. He has appeared before me wearing a lovely feathery ruff. Kurt Clark, welcome back. How are you? Uh, I'm sorry, like Ripple Stiltskin, I don't speak fairy, so maybe you get Belle in here to translate what you just said. Well, I said your name, so you've oh. lost all power now, according to Rumble <laughs> I never had power. Who are we kidding? <laughs> so we, we took a week off of Once Upon a Time, and we have now engorged ourselves on 42 minutes of Rump Bell this week. Uh, we have the birth of a child, the, for now, official breakup of Rumpelstiltskin and Belle. We have the creation of a new genie. A lot of stuff happening in this episode as we ramp up to what we're assuming is the winter finale next week. Kurt, give me your thoughts about this episode overall you know what it's for people who think they know what i like and what i don't like and i think there's a large uh cadre of listeners out there who are like oh stuff that's kind of focused on the relationships and like will they or won't they kurt doesn't like that for some reason i actually liked this episode a lot (laughs) i i I was yeah I, i was i was kind of into it i was kind of into it um and i'm not it it seems like on the surface it's the sort of thing that I wouldn't like, um, but I think there were there were enough elements that I did like that overall I was thumbs up on it. Yeah, and I mean I have definitely shown my cards a bit in saying that I'm not a huge fan of the cyclical nature of the Rumpelstiltskin Bell relationship. I mean, I feel like the Evil Queen even lampshades it in this episode by essentially predicting like, oh, you and Bell got in this fight. This is what you're going to do, but. I agree. I, I think there were some other elements of this episode that I was a little more mm. mixed on, but I actually enjoyed a lot of the gold and bell stuff. It didn't feel too hammered in. It didn't feel too much like we were repeating the same thing over and over again. I don't know whether this breakup is going to be final, but we got an advancement of that storyline. The baby was born. We got an advancement on the Regina snowing over, or the Evil Queen snowing over Zelina plot line, which has happened since like episode one. But still, there's some complications involved in that. We got a little bit of an advancement with uh, Emma's death. So we were, we've always been talking about the fact that this season is not organized into two half seasons. It's one longer story arc where I feel like Emma's death with, at the shadowy figure's hands is going to be really one of the last things in this season. So they're definitely doing much more methodical builds to these points than they have done the past three seasons or so. So this this is sort of part and parcel with that general idea of using, even though a lot of things happened uh, in this episode, more incremental storytelling overall mm-hmm. to build towards a larger narrative. True, but with, without getting too much into the, what, the previews for next week's episode, it does seem like... We've, we've talked about in the past how, like, the episode before the mid-season finale is always, like, a strange one, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Henry exploring the alternate world of what if the, you know, if the author uh, he was able to alter everything or, you know, a time travel episode. It's always that, that one weird one right before the mid-season finale. It seems like we might be getting that weird episode next week, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, the next week's preview definitely shades of, as you said, the season four finale of the alternate timelines. So, I mean, as a big sci-fi nerd, I I always love alternate timelines, but we'll see if Once Upon a Time wants to traipse that topic again. But let's shelve that for now. Let's talk about this episode. Let's talk about the changelings. Uh, I want to start by sort of packaging this whole flashback 
together. And I, you know, we registered a lot of complaints, much to the chagrin of the rest of the internet a couple episodes ago over the Snow and Prince Charming flashback saying, you know, we learned nothing about them. But here is a flashback where Mm. I was surprised. I know that we got breadcrumbs of it in the beginning of the episode when it says, oh, what's up, Rumpelstiltskin's butt about fairies? Why does he keep talking about why, you know, a baby shouldn't have a name? And now we get this big reveal that we found out who Rumpelstiltskin's mother is, which is something that I have been wondering about since, you know, Malcolm was revealed to be his father slash Peter Pan in the beginning of season three. Right. And I think maybe this is one of the elements that I I really liked about it. It was a we haven't had a lot of big reveals that seem to kind of be related to things that have been going on since maybe the very first episode. Like sometimes you'll get a reveal about, you know, you know, Elsa, but that's like a very specific, you know, storyline to, you know, that particular half half season story arc. So it's this this was something that seems kind of endemic to uh, you know everything that's ever been potentially going on with Once Upon a Time. It's like it, it's a huge piece of the puzzle, but one that we didn't really know was even missing until we were like, oh yeah, like you said, you said something that you had thought about before. Um, it, 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 that was really interesting to address it that that his you know mother is the Black Fairy. And even when they were talking about the Black Fairy, I was interested in like seeing who is this going to be? Is this a new character? Are they going to have a role in the future? But I didn't expect that that this was going to be. Uh, his his mother and that the, this entire scheme he was concocting was about you know reaching out to her so now the question is and obviously i think we're gonna get a little more granular with this flashback sequence but did you feel bad for rumpelstiltskin by the end of this i mean i know at the end of this flashback sequence bell's gonna say you know oh poor you i really pity you for all the pain that you've gone through and he says you know no one understands my pain do you think that justifies his behavior both in his treatment of his own family and the subsequent treatment of bell no <laughs> I mean, this this doesn't, you know, add anything to that for me personally. I mean, I think, you know, what we're supposed to get from a lot of these flashbacks is a connection between how, uh, you know, past experiences are impacting present behavior. I, I didn't necessarily get that uh, connection here as much in these two storylines. Um, it, it did, I think somewhat uh, explain his actions and what he was doing in the past. But I think he's made enough poor decisions in the present that uh, I, I, I don't necessarily, you know, you know, co-sign many of those, you know, trapping oh, bell no. on the ship, uh, you know, things like that, you know, you know, threatening to induce her labor, um, even though he didn't end up going through with it. So for the, for the most part, I really don't think that the, um, and it's not that the, I was going to say, it's not that I, I don't think that the end justifies the means. It's more I think I think the end isn't justified by the uh, the stepping stones along the path. Yes, the end does not justify the steps, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, something, yeah. Yeah, the the or the, the 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 hill does not justify the climb. Maybe that's well, a, the better metaphor. Well, speaking of hill, the description of this episode, <clears throat> uh, according to the, the TV guide uh, on my DVR, Rumple uses Jack and Jill's son as bait. Question mark, Mike Bloom. 
What we have not heard. We know of no. Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk, but that was and the was a, female and, version that existed yeah. in the Enchanted Forest in season two. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned going up a hill, so that was like, wait a minute, that 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 called back to me that I, I one of the reasons I think I had said to you last week is I'm really interested to see what goes on with this episode. Part of it was because the description on my DVR mentions Jack and Jill, what? and I'm like, oh, those are two characters that we haven't seen before, and I, I even like looked online to see if you know, they were maybe a minor set of characters in something. But yeah, the uh, the description on my DVR says Rumple uses Jack and Jill's son as bait, and I'm like, nowhere in the episode does it mention that that couple that we see at the very end is Jack and Jill. Do they, is that a thing? Did did you no, catch that? No, I didn't okay. catch it at all. I mean, I okay. when you first mentioned that, I guess my mind went to two Adam Sandler's appearing in Once Upon a Time. <laughs> so I guess we were spared that oh, misfortune for boy. a second. But that's strange. Maybe we have to have a new segment where you read off the description on the TV guide and see whether or not it matches up. That just seems so strange. Maybe it was a plot yeah. line plan for a future episode that they pushed back. But that... That came out of nowhere. We have not seen these characters before. And granted, we've seen nary yeah. anybody from the, the Land of Untold Stories with the exception of Aladdin and Jasmine for the past, like, three episodes. But that would, that would be really random. Right. I mean, in the rest of the description, the evil queen makes a life-altering decision after a conversation with gold. Check. Belle makes a sacrifice. Check. Jasmine finds a lamp she hopes to use to save Agrabah. Check. But Rumpel uses Jack and Jill's son as bait. Threw me a little bit. Um, but I... I, I but uh, maybe just that that clarification was left on the cutting room floor because we we a, a son is used as bait and it is the son of a couple that we see at the end. So, uh, yeah, I don't, don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole. But again, once upon a time, we just talked in the last episode about how they tend to be very narratively heavy. You know, they would be like, "Wait a minute, that's Jack and Jill, the ones who fell down the hill. It's their son." Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. That that was something this like a this, a small little side note of something that I found like, you know quite interesting. And and obviously you know, listeners let us know if we're missing the you know the epic Jack and Jill storyline from this or from you know Once Upon a Time in Wonderland or or something that we're just completely missing. So I'm I'm sure we want to dissect the yeah, yeah, yeah. Blackberry reveal in in its own essence, but do you have anything to say about the lead up to it? I would say by Once Upon a Time standards it was pretty Run of the mill. I mean, we already know the Rumple Bell relationship in the flashback beforehand. I think this is yeah. pre courtship phase. Uh, we do get a little bit of a breadcrumb here in Bell reading her handsome hero, uh, yes. which was the title of that Gaston episode, uh, her yep. favorite book to the little child, and talking about how you know she loved the hero Gideon. We'll find out later that Gideon is going to be the name of her child, which I know once upon a recapper pointed out to us that. Of all the babies that have been born on Once Upon a Time, Gideon is the first one to be named not after someone who had died on the show. So we got baby <laughs> Neil, we got yeah. baby Ryan, uh, baby Robin, baby Gideon is named after a fictional character, but at least he's not named after someone who immediately died like the day before. <laughs> exactly. He's he's not carrying on any uh, real life legacies that are going to basically uh, make him think that he can't live up to expectations when he gets older, thus putting him in therapy. I'm yeah. not projecting. Well, I guess maybe the writers thought that it didn't come at like a dramatically significant right. time because both of those other ones came at the end of the season. So they're like, oh, uh, these, we have these major character deaths that create a lot of drama. We have to subsequently name baby characters after them. Since this is leading up to the middle of the, the sixth season when they're building out this long story arc, they couldn't really make anything that bombastic happen to warrant naming the baby after it. Yeah, it, it's like I was I was maybe like wondering, like, is this a Disney character that we're overlooking? Like, I know there's Gideon the cat from Pinocchio. Um, I, for some reason, I was thinking that 
that Gideon was maybe in the uh, in the the black cauldron, um, uh, but nope, n- n- apparently not. So uh, yeah, no, this I is... guess like, the, the closest literary connection might be Gideon's Bible at this point. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, un- this is the land of untold stories. Maybe their influence there, or is are we going to see some sort of circular time travel thing where Gideon actually goes back in time, inspires the writer of uh, her handsome hero, and he actually is kind of named after himself? Oh God, this is like when Harry Potter saves himself in Prisoner of Azkaban with his, creating his own Patronus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping we don't end up going there. Yeah, but if, if once the, upon a time goes the route of primer, I don't know how I want to feel about that. <laughs> my head will explode. Um, yeah, I, I guess you know the only really thing leading up to the reveal of the Black Fairy, and you know, I, and again, I'm, I am surprised that the Black Fairy has not been. I mean, it, it's one. Of, it's one of those things where uh, we're now meant to believe that this is somebody that. Uh, you know, gold in modern day storybook has always had in his his life now, and we're only just now here. That's the only surprising thing about it. The but the the thing that surprised me leading up to it, and it's a small thing, was that I was very surprised to learn. I kind of alluded to it at the front of the show that uh, that Rumpelstiltskin did not speak fairy or read fairy. <laughs> I, I, I would I always think that the dark one would be able to understand any language, but that was the I think one thing that surprised me leading up to it, and, and the fact that he had to kind of. Uh, play bell a little bit uh to get her to go to the library and to translate this so that he was able to read it um yeah, yeah. and i know that i always say that bell is actually probably one of the smartest characters on the show at least in the modern storybook line i forget how naive she is in the enchanted forest where she would expect like oh yeah i'm gonna sneak into rumple's office of course he wouldn't set any traps for me to you know allow for this to happen and if he if he didn't want me to do this, he clearly wouldn't have taken preventative measures to make sure that I wouldn't do it. It was very, very naive on her part. And she's mm. going to be the one to eventually, you know, lead to Rumple not getting an answer out of his mother about who she is because she decides to take the baby while his back is turned during this very dramatic moment. Um, yeah. Let's t- go ahead. Well, so I am I, interested in um, this does as much as I typically am not a fan of the flashbacks. Um, I am interested in seeing a flashback that kind of le- so we learn more about the Black Fairy and what happened there because it was kind of described that she used to uh, be a, a like a protector of of children. She was, yeah, she was and a good she, witch and she turned into a bad witch. Exactly. And part of me part of me was wondering like when she she used to like uh, basically she used to protect children but now she kind of abducts them. I was wondering if we were going to see kind of like a, was the was the black fairy uh, like you know the the blind witch uh, you know from Hansel and Gretel. because um, it was sound like this is someone who's who we know has taken kids before. Um, and so I, I'm really interested in this new character and kind of seeing where it ends up uh, going. If we, if, I'm, I'm assuming that the rest of the season, you know, when I'm talking about the the, the complete end of the season, uh, will not go without another visit in some way or form by the Black Fairy, whether it's in flashback or in modern day. Yeah, she's closer to like the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, if anything. Uh, oh, creepy, a, creepy, creepy, creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's a good question as to whether we're actually going to see her again. I feel like we're going to see her again, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. It could be, you know, like we saw with Hook's father, where we'll get a little more backstory as to who she is as a character. 
But I feel like when they were doing some preseason press, I think they they talked about, oh, we're get to, we're going to get to know more about Rumpelstiltskin. I feel like this is what they're referring to, but I don't know if we're necessarily opening a door to a wide history of this character because if we're going back to our painting timeline analogy, there's a good amount that's already been shaded in. I feel like the last little ounce of white space on Rumpelstiltskin has now been painted in in the reveal of the Black Fairy as his mother. Unless the Black Fairy had something to do with Charming's father's death. Oh, that yeah, yeah that I guess know. I guess that would be I don't know if what was he transporting children? Is that yeah. why the Black Fairy stopped him? <laughs> I'm just some sort of child slavery ring. I I think I think the 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 fake history of any character, the darkest one we've created is for for Charming's father. I know it's like they're the two characters right now who have like the least number of again, if we're going back to like the kind of connecting the dots, they have the fewest lines connecting them to anybody. So I'm just really tempted to kind of connect the two of them just to like, you know, give them some sort of like you know, improv exercise. These two characters have a relationship. What was it? Go. And um, I think you nailed it. It was, you know, child slavery. <laughs> yeah, it's it. There is a really interesting theme, though, with Rumpelstiltskin's parents, where they both were between Peter Pan and the Black Fairy. In a way, they both were working in the operation of taking children against their will. Uh, so I guess... You know, the Rumpelstiltskin legend was all about someone who stole children and bargained his own name in exchange. Uh, Once Upon a Time obviously takes that and kind of warps it in a way to make Rumpelstiltskin not only, I guess, a a more three-dimensional character, but more of a main character in general. But there is an interesting through line between his parents that both of them kind of grew into those roles, or did not grow in the case of his father. Yeah, it regressed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Anything else about the flashback scene? Again, I feel like the reveal was the big part of it and everything else was pretty much you know rumple bell stuff which is there's more meaty versions of it in the main narrative i feel no i agree i i i i am done with the past all right so let's dive a little more into this main narrative and i I separated out all the lamp business because that was very tangential to everything but i feel like the gold evil queen zelina regina stuff is also interwoven with each other that we really really should tackle it all together uh but we start off with a character that we have not seen before or maybe we have as a red shirt we have one of these nuns trying to run away from gold and we see the beginning of gold's plan where he ties up this nun and of course the evil queen appears kurt can i ask you how are you feeling about the evil queen nine episodes into once upon a time season six um I think if I had to sum her up in one word, it would be ineffectual. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I like she, she, she slash mosquito. Um, she seems to just kind of be there as an annoying presence. And like the one time she was actually able to do something in my mind, it's because charming and snow white uh, didn't seek alternate forms. I mean, I can go back to my whole thing about, you know what, just tell the townsfolk not to drink the water for God's sake, you know? Um, so it, it's, you know, basically, you know, pulling plays directly out of the evil overlords handbook. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, put my not impressed face up, up there when you're asking me how I think about whether I think of the evil queen. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to sort of go in complete opposition of what I felt like the Rumple and bell storyline was this episode and say that I feel like we're starting to go in circles a little bit with the evil queen. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because I was so excited to see her come back and see a truly evil side of Regina return, which you really haven't seen since flashbacks or, season one but i mean i i can't count how many times i've wrote 
Like, Evil Queen poofs in, Evil Queen says some lines and makes a threat, Evil Queen poofs out again. That's essentially all she's done, and I almost want to mimic our comments of what we said in the back half of Season 5, where there were a few episodes where we're like, okay, when are you going to get Hades? When are you going to get Hades? Hades is down, why don't you go get him? And I feel like now we're again sort of circling the drain of like, okay, the Evil Queen's obviously manipulating people. You suffered a setback by having the Snow Charming curse get put upon them, where only one can be awake at a time. But still, you should be focusing on going after her. She just lost a key ally this episode in gold, possibly another one in Zelina. You should be making your move, but now we just sort of have an episode that was really focused on the relationship between Evil Queen and gold, which nobody is really a fan of. Yeah, and it's... I don't know, and I was a little bit... um... Don't, disheartened isn't perhaps the right word to use when talking about the evil queen. Um, uh, but uh, I was I was a little surprised at how quickly she which was turned on Zelina, at least in this episode. Yeah. Like, like especially because we see in this opening scene uh, in this, I don't know, this very extensive boiler room underneath the convent, I assume. Um, uh, you know, nuns get cold. I guess they do. Um, uh like she basically says to gold, you don't really expect me to kill my own flesh and blood. Do you? And he's kind of like, well, yeah. And then, and, Cause you know, if you want to- some of this. Yeah. And, and she's like, okay. And like, next time we see her, she's in Zelina's house and, you know, about to you know, throw down. So I, I, I guess I'm just surprised at how as easily she's manipulated, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, speaking of easily manipulated, what did you think initially when you saw that Gold's first step in his big plan was to spread this magic dust on this nun and turn her into an old woman? Um, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, this is one of those things we talk about the heroes kind of taking like, you know, leaps in logic. Um, you know, Emma recognizes that it's kind of the same sort of magic that was used to... Uh, that she used on Zelina to speed up her pregnancy. And then, you know, you know, Belle later, I was like, wait, so this is a message to me from Rumpelstiltskin that this, that he's going to do this to me. He wants me to, you know, kind of, you know, scared and, and he, and he's going to, he's going to induce my pregnancy early. And it seemed strange again. And I don't, if the, if the idea was indeed, I'm going to kind of send a message to Belle that this is coming, which is, which from all we can tell, that's what he was doing. I'm surprised that he chose to do that. Yeah, it was a, it was a roundabout way of doing it. But again, it seems like Gold kind of, uh, the, in fits and spurts, decides to engage Belle, maybe because she is not, you know, as embracing of him as of late. And again, we have this repeating pattern. We got it with Regina as well this season and in previous episodes where it's like, okay, I'm going to help you do this. No, you stay back. We're going to take care of it. And of course, nobody Mm. listens to that. It seems to be a recurring theme at once upon a time that nobody does what they're told when they're told to just hang back. Yeah, it's... (sighs) I'm I'm, I'm just... Okay, question I have on, on Gold's plan. Other than impatience, is there any reason for him to speed up the pregnancy? I suppose not. But again, maybe it connects to the larger evil queen plan, which we don't Uh, really know about either. Maybe there's something that's more timely in there. Because I agree, 
he could still do the same thing, but maybe he feels like, oh no, they're on to me. They're, they're gonna do they're gonna do something quick to serve as a preventative measure, so I can't uh, get to the baby. Maybe now is the time to strike. I, I guess I can see that that um, you know because he kind of you know put Bell on lockdown with that with those gold bracelets uh, in the in the you know prior episode, um, and so maybe this is more like okay, you know, I have an opportunity to make my to basically put this into checkmate immediately uh, when they're not expecting it versus giving them a chance to kind of look for an alternate strategy to defeat me. So I can, I can see not so much an urgency that the baby has to come now, but more of an urgency to curtail and surprise any assuming that they haven't been doing any planning <laughs> and that, that he has a plan that, and they're not going to have anything to counter it with immediately. I guess I can see that as a reason. I, I, I don't necessarily see, you know, if, if you wanted to hook up with the evil queen, um, you know, best time to do that is uh, when you don't have a newborn on your hands. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's so. some baby mama drama there. But yeah, I guess going along with that, if he is trying to get the sneak on them, then why completely reveal his plan? I mean, he definitely, he's part of the Hyde school of like, oh, wait, there's actually uh, a twist where he sort of is, I knew that you would do that, so I did this instead. Yeah. The whole Vizzini method from uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> but it would be weird if he was trying to sort of get the one up on them and take the child that she yeah. wouldn't just have put the the magic in the tea, like, given it to her, and then induced the the labor that yeah. way. That he had to like make a big fanfare and announcement and announce it. It seems very in line with the Rumpelstiltskin character, but not logically. Yeah, I, that's a, that's a really good point. It's like they all think that they have seven months to figure out how to you know you know stop this from happening. I can make this happen. You know, in the next couple of days, they'll never see it coming <laughs> unless I warn them about how I'm going to do it. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's go to the library here. As Bell finds a new book, Hildrew's Manual on Defeating the Dark One, <laughs> and we follow the Strand, but not to a bookstore. It's to uh, what I dubbed Soft Focus Cave, which is actually the dream world, and it's the return of Morpheus, slash, I guess Gideon's his real name now. Yeah, we can, we can call him Gideon. Um, I, I was like, what the... When she finds that book, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh... Like this, this seems like way too. We have to hurry things up for these next two episodes, and then I'm like, this. Okay, this. When you got to this kind of soft focus cave, as you're calling it, it's like, okay, this is definitely a dream. And she's probably going to see her. Yep, there's, there's, uh, uh, Gideus. Gideus. Uh, <laughs> Gideus. Well, Gideus is not hideous. He's a very nice looking young man. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought that 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 was. That was interesting. I was very amused by the book. Um, although it, it sounds like, you know, Belle wakes up from this knowing what she needs to do. Or no, she doesn't. No, it's, she, not, it's, it's, it's a second dream sequence. It's a second, it's a second dream. dream yeah. And, and so yeah. I will say, I, I feel like the second dream was definitely the more emotional and impactful one. This first one, really nothing happened except it right. just acknowledged he, the fact that, oh, yeah, she can go back to the dream world. Gideon did not give her any answers. He said, well, oh, yeah, I, I'm you. The answer's here all along. Wake up. Bye. See you later. Well, yeah, so like the answer defeating him is kind of like inside you and it's right in front of you. And so I was like, okay. Uh, I thought that that would, well, and I, and I didn't necessarily think that when when they when she wakes up in there, she's like consulting with Hook and Emma. It's like, well, what, this is the book I was looking at, and you know, Hook recognizes the squid ink. I didn't necessarily think that that's where it was going. I thought the answer was basically something else, and they were going to barking up the wrong tree. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what what uh, 
uh, Gideon was actually hinting at in that first dream sequence. Unless he was just being vague because he didn't really have an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, dreams are often hard to interpret, so maybe he's truly representing his role as the pseudo-god of dreams there. Let's talk about the squidding. Do you find that it's weird that it took them so late to figure out, oh yeah, the squidding is something that can stop magical beings. Why don't we use this on gold or the evil queen? Well, I mean, the last time that I remember that they were they needed squid ink, they they had to like didn't they have to go like Neverland to hunt it down? Yeah, they had to um, hunt. They when they did when they uh, I think it was when they were trying to uh, stop Peter Pan, they had to like find a kraken and hunt it down in the middle of Neverland to get its ink. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I wonder if like Hook had any spare you know kraken juice from uh, his times under the sea. Um, uh, yeah, it's. <sighs> I, I don't I don't know it 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 threw me it seemed again just like when I thought that that book was real about how you know how to defeat the dark one I thought that this was a little bit Deus Ex Machina as well I was like oh the, all these books we've been reading have been made of squid ink all along and look Emma's magic can extract the squid ink um, and then we can use it I I I'm I'm glad it didn't work. <laughs> well, I think you could look at the time code in the episode to realize that it wouldn't work. If they come up with the plan to solve it 12 minutes in, what are you going to do for the other 30 minutes of the episode? Well, I thought it was going to be a bit more like, you know, they, they, maybe the, it would work, but they, but he, you know, like he didn't have the shears on him, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I thought maybe it was going to be like, okay, that, that it, it, it worked, but now we have to kind of figure out where he hid them and while well, he's frozen and he's not going to tell us. Um, so I didn't necessarily know where it was going to go, but I, I did kind of like the caveat that it's it was dried squid ink, not fresh squid ink. So he, he's like, you think at my power level right now that dried squid ink is going to stop me? No. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like squid ink is uh, the opposite of cheese. It gets worse with age. Yeah, it's like, do you want the fresh herbs in your cooking or do you want that, that, that dried garlic uh, salt that's on your, you know, you want the real stuff. No, exactly. The freshest ingredients. Nothing uh, better but. Better ingredients, uh, Papa Gold's. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this Evil Queen Zelina confrontation here. I mean, for being so in opposition to this proposition coming into the episode, Evil Queen seemed to almost turn on a dime in one scene and is now yeah. ready to kill her sister. Yeah. And, and again, it's... Uh, on, on the one hand, like I said earlier, it did kind of surprise me and take me off guard. But I guess on the other hand, you know, I, I go back to the whole Jekyll and Hyde, uh, you know, dark side, light side of the, of the personality. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, maybe that, again, that evil side's a little bit more one note, a little less three-dimensional, a little bit more two-dimensional. And, 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 and so... Maybe you know I, I joked earlier about the you know you know taking these pages from the evil overlord's handbook and you know telling what the plan is you know and um, giving the heroes a chance to escape when she shouldn't and maybe that's just the rules that she's meant to live by uh, you know you, you know technically you know she's a product of uh, of stories so maybe it's just like she can't help herself um, I just find it interesting that Regina is much more three dimensional than the evil queen yeah well Regina even talked about a little bit in this scene when she eventually comes in that she feels that the reason why evil queen is doing this is because she has a hole in her heart after daniel and she's trying to fill it and she feels like gold might be the one to do it but still it's weird for her to be you know if she's really giving gold the puppy dog eyes so much it doesn't seem like it it's a little bit more salacious than that but 
if she really is so head over heels in love with him that she would go after this. It's, it seems like a bad move strategically, I guess, from that type of perspective, in that you curry such good favor with her. Why would you then immediately just snip that social relationship in the bud just because he told you one thing? Yeah, it it it, it just it made no sense to me other than if I look at the entire situation from a this is what an evil character would do and she's always been evil and she has no redeeming qualities um and 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 i and it it just seems like if you were to kind of have extracted that from regina regina would be a little bit more of the you know polar opposite of that and she again that's what i'm saying regina is much more complex much more three-dimensional by removing the evil queen from regina we didn't suddenly lose a dimension to the character that regina is in fact she doesn't seem any different than she has over the past couple of seasons um whereas you know jekyll and hyde seem to be more kind of diametrically opposed in terms of their their character um i almost would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh rah rah go team go from regina a little bit of the less less of the um kind of the the negativity only in terms of the maybe the that that potion uh, kind of the, the formula stays true. I like her more as a three-dimensional character where she has all of these complex sides. But yeah, it, it, so again, I was very surprised uh, on the one hand that the evil queen did this, but on the other hand, it, it seemed in nature of a storybook evil character. Well, before the evil queen fries that nice red, uh, green fur off of Zelina's jacket, Regina is able to show up just in time. We'll find out why she's actually visiting later on, but she's pretty awesome in this moment where she takes out her heart and essentially uses herself as a hostage uh, to take as, as the original to threaten to take out the evil queen. I feel like this might've been the most burn filled episode of once upon a time we've covered in a while. Kurt, there were a bunch <laughs> of digs at people. And one thing that I really took note of was at the end of this conversation, uh, Regina just tells uh, the evil queen, we're done with you here. And then she poofs away once again. I was like, this is a really tough dig at yourself. <laughs> I wonder like how I don't I don't I don't think I could be that mean to me. As as self deprecating as I am, if there was like another me sitting across the room, I th- I think I'd feel bad if I was saying that stuff. Yeah, like go away. We don't like you, Kurt. <laughs> I'm like, you're saying everything I felt I've always known anyway. Please stop. <laughs> Yeah, because eventually when they're going to absorb each other back in again, she's going to be like, oh, man, I said some really hurtful things to myself. I'm kind of a jerk to me. So in the whole Regina, Zelina, Evil Queen drama, we'll talk about the other scene later on. But at the end of this scene, did you feel like we were in a step towards the right direction? I feel like I personally felt that way. There were a few episodes where I've expressed my frustration of like, Oh, we're just getting into this this weird misunderstanding now where Selena feels like Regina doesn't like her anymore and Evil Queen's the shoulder to cry on, but really she should know that she's up to no good. And that came to a front here and Regina defending Selena. I'm like, great, this is a step in the right direction. We're getting back to these sisters reconciling. We're getting back to three-dimensional characters. These are not steps back in terms of their characterization. And then we'll get to the other scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we then we'll get to the other scene. That's exactly right. And uh, speaking again towards this this pretty mean spirited episode, a lot of balefire burns. Uh, <laughs> considering that Hook's big distraction when he walks is, is to essentially taunt Gold about how he lost his son the first time. Yeah, not cool, dude. <laughs> and, and and I think even like I think the Evil Queen has done that like once or twice this season. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's a sore subject uh, between him and and Robin. You know, even though the kids are named after them, they are definitely not forgotten in other regards as well. But it seems like the perfect distraction for Gold as Emma tosses the dried squid ink onto him. They search the shop ferociously, but Emma, save your spasms, coming back specifically uh, when it seems like she's in the shop, she sees a new memory or a new part of the memory at least a sword with a red jewel on the hilt kurt were you searching through your rolodex of once upon a time encyclopedic information to try to remember <laughs> if we had seen this sword before because i definitely had more like wikipedic site this <laughs> sort of it. um uh i was trying to remember if this was like i was like is this excalibur no this isn't excalibur and then that know, was because like, that, that was the dagger yeah and then, then that was like the end of like the and and once I realized, no, this isn't Excalibur, then my search my my search stopped, and I just assumed it was something new that we hadn't seen before. But did you did you assume though? Did you think ahead of the show that you felt like, oh, she sees the sword, the sword must be in the shop, and she's having sort of a sense memory of it? Um, not necessarily. I thought that she saw something. I was curious what she saw in the drawer that triggered it. I didn't necessarily go to the same conclusion that she did that the sword was there. I don't remember because I didn't remember seeing the sword just in, in, in my viewing of it. So I figured something, um, whether she when she touched her drawer or something that she saw in the drawer triggered it, and I was curious what that was, but I didn't necessarily think that it was uh, the weapon itself. Maybe I've been watching too much Westworld recently, but I just I get stuck on like these idea of like sense memories where a certain gesture or touching an object will trigger something. So that's, that's oh, why was, my mind immediately jumped to it. She was having a reverie. She was having a reverie, and I don't know. Maybe the uh, maybe Arnold is the figure that's under the hood. Oh, oh, or yeah, maybe it's it's host Emma uh, under the. Oh hood. God, yep. That's the. I think that's the last step for Once Upon a Time is to make robot versions. We already have evil clones. Now we just need robots. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I'm not quite. I, I was I was very intrigued by this. I mean, I, I like the idea of um, progressively having the vision, the flash forward, if you will, uh, flesh out more and more. And I don't know if it's because she's finding new information or because the future is slowly becoming more and more the present. Um, but I, I, I do like that we're getting kind of little bits and pieces of uh, putting the, the memory puzzle together. It's a little memento-ish. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, I am enjoying that. And I, and, I, and I also caught when she had the vision, I was like, oh, wait, we haven't seen that sword before. It's got a very distinctive red uh, jewel on it. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what she calls out later when she's talking to, to Hook. Yeah, you bring up a good point that it seems like the, for lack of a better term, it's a whodunit of who killed Emma. And it seems <laughs> to be the larger mystery, which once upon a time— Emma! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that definitely works. Let's bring Giles in. Giles is under the hood. But, no, um, no, no, sorry. It had to be Regina. That's the best one. Selena. Yes. Yeah, uh, oh, that, that's the best one. Yes. Good one. Good one. Uh, but, Selena. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a while, I feel like, since Once Upon a Time has really, or maybe at all, dealt with a larger mystery. I feel like this is, this is one of the first times where they say, okay, we're going to reveal what happens at the end, and we're going to figure out together what led to this and who's the who's the killer. Once Upon a Time usually doesn't do that. It seems like they're almost usually flying by the seat of their pants. So, again, maybe it's a benefit of building out a larger narrative over the, over the course of 22 episodes mm-hmm. is that you're able to kind of 
like a mystery writer does sometimes, start at the end and work your way back to the beginning. I don't know, because we've seen, like, any time that we've had, like, flashbacks that are kind of leading up to a dark curse, we kind of know, like, what happens at the point of the curse, but we're trying to figure out what are the things that actually led to the point of the curse being cast. I mean, I'm thinking back to the whole Camelot at season story arc where, you know, we've got everything, what, we're kind of, we're, everybody's got amnesia. Um, nobody remembers that, you know, what exactly happened in Camelot. All we know is that they all kind of woke up in grannies and you've got Dark Emma, and they slowly spend the season Feeling in the gaps as to kind of what was that story that led to the point where Emma went full dark Emma and none of us remember anything. So they've they've kind of dabbled in it before, but I think this is this I agree with you that this is kind of a, a new twist on how we're doing a mystery where everybody's kind of along for the ride and it's not so much a, a, a play in how the narrative unfolds to us, the viewer, but it's more of we're kind of in Emma's memories along with her or her, her not her memories but her, her visions with her and, and along with her and the rest of the cast we're finding out little bit by little bit and trying to figure out where how do we end up at this future point yeah it's very reflective of like a Peter Petrelli in Heroes season one flash forward where we need to figure out we got to save the cheerleader we have to pre- prevent Siler from setting off a bomb in the middle of New York City but we only have loose fragments of what's going on how are we going to get to that exactly so do you have any thoughts about this gold bell scene in the library? I guess it's sort of like a pseudo confrontation, uh, aside from the fact that Bell needed to run a lot faster to get to the elevator if she wanted to get down in time. <laughs> I just thought like she like stumbled backwards. She's like, no, no, no. I'm like, girl, you got to move a yeah. lot faster. That door is slow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it wasn't. It wasn't like candy. Meaning, okay, that's the other thing is that the fact that the elevator like wasn't right there when she hit the button meant that it was actually down the lower floor. Meaning, the last time it was used was for somebody to go down, and they're still down there. So, who was that? That's the big mystery. Or up to the clock tower. Uh, I don't know if the elevator goes up. I think there's a staircase. I could be wrong. I I, we have long asked for the architectural plans behind some of these storybook buildings, especially the all-in-one central building. So maybe this is another call for that. That's true. Um, I it's it, to me. I think it just seemed like a a weird cut. Like later we see him, the elevator arrive and her try to escape. I, I was surprised that there was like you know there was yeah, a scene in between. <laughs> that was that was a weird. I agree. It was a completely weird cut. There was a flashback in between, and I, I feel like they were trying to like heighten the suspense. But I pretty much knew that like she's not gonna get in that elevator, and if she, even if she does, he's a dark wizard capable of poofing around everywhere why do you think he wouldn't be able to find you exactly it is uh yeah it, it was it was kind of a strange escape moment and well i gotta say is, is it weird that they're leaving bell there um i guess i mean they felt pretty confident that their plan would work that uh to get to freeze gold um but at the same time you think he would have like wanted to uh, you know, have Mary Margaret kiss Charming, then have Charming wake up, and then kind of protect Belle while Hook and Emma... Like, have somebody on Belle watch. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I love that show. David Hasselhoff was a star. <laughs> uh, I think, I, I think uh, we just picked early early hashtag <laughs> contender right there. Oh, guys, like, just, you know, Belle, you know, jogging slowly down Main Street. Yeah, but, yeah. but wearing, like, big, heavy fall coats, because that's all the climate is in Storybrooke. <laughs> exactly. So I do think they do an interesting job of like almost summarizing, giving Cliff's notes versions of the struggles that Rumpelstiltskin faces uh, in terms of, you know, Belle telling her 
or him saying, I'm a man nobody can love, but maybe my new son can love me. I've tried to love, and I've only pushed people away, so all I have left is magic. Again, we're, we're repeating things that have been said before, but if we're looking at the grand scheme of this episode as a microcosm of, of Rumpelstiltskin and Bell's relationship, it did a nice job, in my opinion, of sort of summarizing his inner anguish. Yeah, it, and I mean, at least it, it gives... I think maybe because I'd been thinking it, uh, but I just was seeing it on the screen. I realized it actually, maybe she hadn't actually said it, but she pretty much gives a voice to the fact like, if you do this, this doesn't push me away from you. If you do this, I'm done for good. It, you know, you won't, you lo- you lose me forever if you do this. And it, that does seem to impact him. I do like the fact that she kind of, she pulls out one of his lines like, yeah, okay, this, you're relying on magic. Hey, guess what? Magic comes with a price. Uh, remember that, uh, that, that old ditty from the first few seasons. Um, and so he lowers the bottle and kind of steps. I, I wasn't sure. Was that him giving up? Was he actually leaving at that point? Was he reconsidering? Um, but apparently he was, apparently she got through to him. So let's jump into this Regina and Zelina scene, because just when I thought the olive branch had been extended, it was promptly broken and thrown into a big fire pit. Uh, because Regina decides to reveal the reason why she truly was there. It was to basically search through Zelina's stuff to find the uh, some magic to help the anti-aging magic that uh, Gold had used on that one nun. Zelina essentially asked, why did you not ask me? And things finally come to the surface after bubbling under for several episodes that... Regina's still holding some resentment towards Zelina about some. what happened with the Robin. Just some, <laughs> a lot. Okay, a lot. I definitely uh, under under uh, threw that number. <laughs> I have to say, in the history of Once Upon a Time, and I don't know what this says about me, this scene got to me. Like I was choked up during this scene. I felt so bad for Zelina, um, and like I was like, oh no, like. Oh, oh God! Like they were so like, and maybe because I was like, okay, you know, Zelina, like you know, Regina went in to save Zelina, and you kind of get the sense that this is all that Zelina really ever wanted. That she never really like her reaction to Regina. It's almost like this, you know, gushing forth and uh, of of emotion and turn. Like you, you almost you get the sense that she never really was with the queen truly and all. And if she was, it was just so that this could happen so that, that they could be back together again as sisters. And I felt, I felt so bad for Zelina in the scene. Well, especially again, another burn in this episode is Regina trying to talk is Zelina saying, you know, Oh, I could be just like you. You know, people can change. You've grown, you've developed, you've changed. And then Regina just looks at her coldly and says, you're not me. And that is that one definitely hit me. That was just like, that was rough. That that's yeah. a really harsh thing for Regina to say. And it goes back to what you said before of like, just because the quote unquote evil queen persona has left Regina doesn't mean she's not capable of still doing really bad things to people. Yeah, it's like you take the potion again and get that you know grumpy Regina out. Get get the like the seven Regina dwarves. Like you know, just leave happy one. <laughs> Yeah, that was I, – I, I agree. I felt bad for Zelina there, and I'm assuming that we were supposed to be because I feel like they've been building up Zelina as a very sympathetic character ever since we got that one flashback episode with her and Hades back in the middle of season 5B. So you'd have to assume that they, they want us to think Regina is in the wrong here, right? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. All right, so let's move on from that. Let's move on to some great – 
Evil Queen gold stuff, uh, the best stuff these episodes can provide here. Uh, though, again, there's a no- really other really nice burn in this scene as well, uh, where you know she's she basically makes fun of Gold, saying like, "Oh, you went back on your word. Why did you not use the the magic on Bell? You're a failure." And then Gold just retorts, "You want to know what failure looks like? Look in the mirror." <laughs> Burn number 17. Yeah, there are so... I don't know why there are so many burns this episode. And especially very poignant considering that the last episode was all about the magic mirror. Exactly. Yeah, this... this I, I didn't come out of this feeling happy. <laughs> no, not at all. Every every dwarf but happy. Happy was turned to a tree and went to college. And so now we're left with the other dwarves. Yeah, yeah. So it's, everybody just get along. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. Although I feel like there are maybe were some households that are more representative of the Regina Zelina stuff than maybe the uh, the other relationships on this show. Exactly, exactly. Especially when alcohol gets involved. Uh, speaking of alcohol, or I guess spiked drinks in this manner, uh, we go back to Granny's where Belle is sipping on some tea. I had a feeling that once that tea gets delivered, it was Chekhov's tea in a way, but Hook and Emma are fine with it. It's innocent enough, and they decide to talk a little bit about what was going on in the shop, and major points to Emma for fessing up immediately once Hook asks her what's going on. She's learned her lesson. She'll forget it again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Once something else gets remembered, she's like, well, I'm not going to tell them. I know I said I'd tell them, but not this time. So was that evil to Granny? Was that the queen posing as Granny? It could be the queen posing as Granny. It could be, I don't know, she was like next to the team, the hot water machine and happened to like put the, (laughs) sprinkle the magic in there when Granny wasn't looking. I don't know how uh, up and with it Granny is considering she's of some sort of indeterminate age. I just like I like that phrase of of indeterminate age. Of That's indeterminate the best way to just yeah. Did you? I, although this is the first time that I noticed like those, uh, you know, gas station fruit punch dispensers in the background of Granny's. Did you know? Yeah, if you could... <laughs> yeah Granny's is like Granny's is also another one of those all in one places in that it's a diner. But at the same time, like it seems to be open twenty four hours a day. It serves as like a refuge to a bunch of pl- bunch of people. It's connected directly to the inn as well. So I feel like there's got it's got to be the most profitable business in Storybrooke, right? Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I don't think that the ice cream shop is functioning anymore, is it? <laughs> no, after Ingrid uh, decides to sacrifice herself and shove a piece of, bunch of pieces of glasses in herself, I feel like the ice cream business got shut down. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering. I was, I was quickly looking online to see if there was any, uh, any you know, official menu for uh, Granny's Diner, um, and I think people are trying to capture. Uh, uh, some some screen grabs and it looks like there might be like a, a lacy episode with her and uh rumpelstiltskin her and gold uh whether you can kind of see a, a a brief view of granny's diner's menu but um yeah the, it, it doesn't have, we can't read any of the items I so mean, all, really, the, all you need to really remember are their burgers because that's what it's really known for right yeah i guess i just want to know <laughs> if they serve breakfast for lunch <laughs> i i feel like they're lenient in that way the town's small enough that i feel like you could do that uh, but before they can dive into the menu much more, uh, the teacup drops, which I, th- which I thought was a nice reference, <laughs> considering that it's much more than chipped at this point. <laughs> yeah, I completely missed that as a possible uh, little Easter egg there. I like that. And Belle is going into labor. Uh, so she apparently gets taken to the nunnery 
Gold appears. Uh, there's a nice, again, this is the scene chronologically after we find out about the Black Fairy connection. And he says that, right. you know, fairies are involved in all the injustices in the world. Uh, and But he finds that another injustice has incurred in his life. He is not able to watch the birth as a big force field is blocking him out of it. And he tries to stab his way through it with the Dark One dagger. I forget, there's obviously a big mythos connected to the dagger, but could that work? Apparently. <laughs> Unless he buried his way underneath the, the uh, yeah. uh, under the dome, as it were. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. At first, I thought that was like the wizard, the wizard's house, the sorcerer's house. Um, it, it did but, look like the mansion yeah. where him and Belle went to for their honeymoon in season four. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think I was like, oh, that's probably you know probably a good place to take her. And I forgot that's where we kind of take all the babies anyway. Um, so we have this silent scene of Belle giving birth. Felt very lost like to me. I thought that was cool. I like the heartbeat in the background as well, though it got me thinking about a darker conclusion to this, which I'm gonna talk about in just a second. But let's go back to soft focus world. Let's go back to the dream world here. I mean, I would say if the Regina and Zelina scene got you, this is the scene that definitely got me this episode. And me, me not so much. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe, maybe it's this and the next scene. Just this idea of like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I cannot imagine a giving away your child, b, you know, having to come to reason that the only thing to do is to give away your child. I thought Emily Duravin did a really fantastic job in this episode, um, and. Just the maybe maybe I'm putting more weight in the scene outside of the dream world, but when she when she you know tells Mother Superior to send the baby off and says goodbye to it and gives off the book, it was it was really weighty for me. Yeah, it's I I like again it's one of those unspoken things we took, we referred to a little bit earlier where he said well there's only one way now and she's like no I can't do it and like what if he's like like baby Gideon's like that's the what are you doing this isn't the one solution I had in mind. <laughs> Well, How come you okay, didn't consider X? So here's the bad thing. And again, maybe Basic Cable once upon a time would have done this. I thought the one thing for a second was that Gideon had to die. Oh, see, I thought that potentially, I thought that maybe Bell had to die. I was thinking that as well. Um, because again, when you usually think one thing you can do, you think finality. You think like, okay, one of these people has to die. That's why it, it was interesting to hear the heartbeat in the background because I thought like, okay, is there now going to be like a flatlining sound effect yeah. as one of them dies? Because that wouldn't affect if Bell dies, then that removes her from the picture. If Gideon dies, that yeah. removes him from the picture. But that might be a little too dark by Once Upon a Time standards. Yeah, a, a little, you think? <laughs> just, just a bit. Dead babies, probably not in the realm of 8 o'clock on Sunday night on ABC. I mean, AMC still has Baby Judith around. Do you think ABC is going to get rid of Baby Gideon this early? Well, we just got, we just met him. It's not like we know him that well. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, so what did you think about the second Gideon Bell scene on the swing set? I, I was wondering, like, you know, why is there a swing set in the opening, uh, in the cold open? Uh, you know, we're in the in the yeah. uh, on the, on the and, title and speaking, card. Uh, speaking of cold open, there was no cold open, which I think was a very rare thing on Once Upon a Time. It just cut to the opening graphic right when the show started. Oh yes, yeah, I meant the opening the opening graphic. Yeah, um, odd. Um, I, I I don't know. I was I was just really anxious to get to the solution. So I'm like, get out of the dream world. Let's see what you're actually going to do. So yeah. yeah. 
Well, she got out of the dream world, and possibly this might be the last time we see the dream world. Well, actually, maybe not, because if it's something that she can easily access, I don't know about the fact that Gideon is, for lack of a better term, out of her, that she won't be able to do this now, but do you think there's a chance she could still go into the dream world and talk with Gideon if she needs to? Um, I'm not certain. I'm trying to think here. Um... I think that they had a connection while literally uh while he was you know in her womb. Um yeah, cuz let's remember when Rumple in the beginning of the season went into what he thought was her dream world. He was getting said, you know, this is our dream world. You know, what's hers is mine essentially. Right. Um so I I I'm thinking no that these he that's it's not going to happen. I I think it was just a special bond between the mom and the uh, unborn Gideon. Um, I don't. I don't think we're going to be seeing that happen again. And this is an interesting comparison to what happens to Emma through flashbacks and in the what's alluded to in the very beginning of the series. You know, both of these mothers had to give up their children because of the circumstances that they were in. So I thought it was a nice parallel there as well. Obviously, the connection between parents and children is an ongoing theme in Once Upon a Time, and this is another one that we can sort of add to the tapestry. Yeah, it, it's. I'm very curious how this is going to end up kind of playing out. Now are we going to see more of Gideon? I would imagine so. I, I feel like they won't just say like, oh, and then it's sort of like, you know, in Lost when they were like, oh, and then Aaron got off the island and Kate was his mother for a while, but then eventually Claire got off too and they sort of like yada yada through that storyline. I feel like the Rumpel-Bell relationship is too important to not have Gideon be at least some part of it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm wondering is because they have an adult uh, version of Gideon already cast. Is there going to be some sort of, well, again, aging magic, uh, it, where he's going to actually come back? He's not going to be a toddler or anything like that. He's going to come back full form in, in this in this in this body. Yeah, well, hopefully they don't go too far and like you know accelerate him into an old man and then have to dial it back a bit. Yeah, we're we're getting into strange territory that actually overlaps with Fox's Gotham. So let's let's stray let's stray away from this. <laughs> All right, perfect. Let's keep it uh, a lot lighter than the city of Gotham may usually have in terms of its hues. Well, speaking of the Bell and Gold relationship, do you have any thoughts about their final conversation here when he comes in after the baby is born? I loved, again, in sort of bastardizing the version of Rumpelstiltskin that we all know, her deciding to withhold the name of his child so that he does not hold power over it. But the fact that like Emma knows it and... You know, several of the nuns know it apparently, and Hook knows. I I don't think it's going to be that hard for you know, you know, the Dark One to overhear reference to her his son's name. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Practically speaking, uh, it's a, it's probably yeah. a two, Them- but I think symbolically speaking, it's like a thematically, nine. it was. Re- I thought that was actually like uh, a nice little touch as well. Uh, I thought that thematically, exactly that this was uh, um, fitting. So gold is obviously in a pretty sour mood. He's had a bad day, to quote <laughs> Daniel Powder, um, not Magic Powder, and decides to go back to the shop where who else is there? Who's always there? The evil queen. Uh, it turns out that she had put magic in the tea. Kurt, when we find out that the tea had been laced with, and not lacy, <laughs> but laced with the Magic Powder, did you think it was gold or did you think it was somebody else? I thought else? it was somebody else. I, yeah. so I, I definitely thought it was evil queen. Exactly. As as did I. Cuz like I said it seemed like he it seemed like he was backing away from her and putting like he would have done it I don't I don't know if he was planning on forcing the liquid down her throat in the library. Um but uh 
Yeah, I, 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 did, I didn't think it was him. Well, we get some now mounting tension and not of the sexual variety <laughs> between <laughs> Evil Queen and Gold here, where it seems like Evil Queen has crossed a line here by accelerating that pregnancy. And it turns out that she was sort of doing it as revenge because she felt that Gold knew she would run into trouble if she tried to kill Zelina and that he was kind of setting her up. Gold makes this big chess analogy about how he's playing a long game and she's just one of her pawns. Again, burn number 25 of the episode is Evil Queen uh, before walking out tells Gold, good luck finding your son again. I hear fairies make wonderful mothers. Yeah. Ouch. That was probably that I, was was that the worst burn of the episode in your opinion? Um, because that was a double burn. First, no, first she makes a comment about losing his his son again. Then she makes a double burn about the fact that his mother's a fairy. <laughs> I I I still think Hook going right for, uh, uh, you're you're failing this son just like you failed Balefire. I think that was that was maybe the harsher one for me. Maybe it's because it came out of Hook and he's not like an inherently evil character, so we didn't expect it from him. Yeah, like, whoa, dude, not cool. <laughs> and Gold is definitely not cool. He starts tearing everything apart in anger. Exactly, exactly. So Hook is, you know, going back to Granny's and talking to Emma about how Regina reversed the magic on the nun off screen. Though, am I seeing things or was that nun also delivering the baby? Is something out of sequence here? Um, it might have been another nun. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaking them. Yeah, I, I don't remember the nun who was delivering the baby, unfortunately. Well, Emma I Emma did. is fired up by what Belle did, and it's, it's she says it's why she embraces the savior title. It's to do the hard things to protect the people that she loves. So she is ready to literally grab the sword out of its holster and find out exactly what is going on. Kurt, do, do you feel like we have some sufficient advancement in this story of the vision? Do you feel like we're going to get more progress on the story immediately? Um, ignoring the previews, I felt that yes. I mean, it's like we now have something we can go after. We now have a quest. We now have like we if we find this sword, it will answer questions for us. Uh, and and so I feel like they're kind of at least on the path towards something as a power, as opposed to kind of wandering around in a daze. Yeah. And again, we will we'll talk more about the previews uh, at the end for those of you that are preview phobes. But yeah, I mean, again, it feels good to sort of be right on that path, considering that if that's the end goal that we're getting to, we sort of stop taking some detours. We're now back on our, our main road to really figure out what the big mystery is. It's nice to hear that they are imbued with spirit, but we'll see how long that imbuing actually is. Exactly. So before we finish off this episode, let's talk about the lingering thread here. Let's talk about the lamp, which Aladdin and Jasmine found when they ransacked the gold shop a couple of episodes ago. And we find out that there is no genie in that lamp. <laughs> can't put the genie back in the lamp. Or can you? Yeah, he he got all naked and then... Yeah, leapt out of the lamp and just left his clothes and jewelry behind. So what did you think about Aladdin's ultimate decision to volunteer to become a genie? Um, you know, it's, I thought it was an interesting choice. <laughs> um, and I guess, it, it, I guess it strikes me as like, you don't know all the rules of this. So like, he's assuming a lot like that. I, I don't know, like is his plan that, well, there is an opening 
to Phil here in literally uh, in being the genie and that if I then put on these bracelets, these, these, these bracers, I will become the genie and then Jasmine will wish for things and I will grant those wishes and together we will find Agrabah. Like, I, I'm not sure if, if that's what he's thinking or if that will work quite like how he wishes it will. Yeah. But you have to think about Aladdin's story arc here. And granted, we haven't seen too, too much of him, so it's a little bit of a thin story arc. But remember, he's a guy who gave up being the savior and is now still combating with this idea of how do I be a hero without living up to this savior moniker? And I guess this is a a way to do that, right? He's helping save Agrabah. He's helping grant the love of his life wishes uh, and helping her with her immediate goal of getting back to Agrabah. But... He might not have thought this all the way through. I agree with you in that, like, it might make the, uh, there might be more limitations in their relationship now, the fact that he's confined to a bottle. Right. And I think, and you raise a good point there. It's like, I I don't like, what I don't like about it is that it, it kind of lends credence to his belief that because I've given up the mantle of savior, then I can't do anything to help unless I take on the mantle of something else. It's like, you know, you be you and, uh, and, and still be, you don't, you don't need a special power or a special mantle imbued upon you to do heroic things. Just help Jasmine. Um, I mean, I, yeah, they're, they're not quite sure how to get back and like where that step one is. Um, but I, I know this, this part of me is maybe just still believing that, uh, the savior is just the idea of the savior is just something that's either in your heart or your head and that anybody could technically do it. I, I don't know. Um, it, with that, you know, that hasn't borne out in what we've seen, but I, I, I just, I, I don't like the idea that he has to take on some sort of special power in order to be heroic. Yeah. Though again, he's, he's able to be magical once again. And I guess he's also serving as his own form of a savior in that he's being the saving grace for Jasmine at this point. And I guess maybe, the optimal plan would be, okay, Aladdin grants two wishes, and then for his third wish, she wishes for him to be freed, and he's good as new again, and the wristless fall back out. But something tells me that that's not going to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to uh, have things quite go as according to plan as we think that they think. Well, well, let's dive into that then. And again, for those of you that are don't want to check out the previews for next episode in lieu of possibly spoiling yourself, totally cool, no worries. You probably want to skip ahead about three or four minutes here. But Kurt, let's talk about the preview for what we think is the winter finale of Once Upon a Time. Yeah, and I think my my previews might have gotten cut off partway through, which is which is, is fine. It's like I kind of walk that line between I, I I pay attention in a side eye sort of way in terms of okay, this, so this is going on. And I just see I see uh wishes going awry and uh Emma in what looks like the enchanted forest, uh, oblivious to her uh, past, present, future, former, uh, whatever life as the savior, very reminiscent of the the time traveling uh, sequence leading up yes. to the frozen timeline. Very much so, because let's remember, I think leading up to that time travel sequence was Emma sort of going through a similar thing of like, oh man, I wish I wasn't a part of this. The preview has Emma at the timeline saying, "I wish I wasn't the savior." I guess having Aladdin become the genie was a bad choice as evil queen's going to get hold of him somehow and use that wish to confirm Emma's wish, which will now transport her into this time where we see what does Emma look like if she's not the savior? If, if she, you know, she did, if she did use the shears, what does she look like now? It's still indeterminate as to whether 
she is back in Storybrooke and is just wearing that sort of medieval garb or whether they're back in the Enchanted Forest again. I'm still not sure. But, you know, as Biggie Productions tweeted to us, it looks strange, as strange as any other here. Yeah, I'm I'm just, again, curious as to what's going on, what's going to have transpired. It's a so. weird way to to end your mid-season here. And I'll throw in a couple of stipulations here. A... We're, between the two of us, not 100% sure that this is the mid-season finale. I don't think they alluded to it on the preview, though I might be mistaken. Um, You said that you found sources that said that there was an episode two weeks from now. They usually do 11 episodes before the break, but I know Adam Horowitz uh, tweeted that only 10 episodes are going to exist in the first half of this season. But if we're going to say next week is the winter finale... Do you think this is a good thing to do, considering that, again, they're not doing it in two half seasons. They're building out an entire 22-episode season at once. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, I'm not sure what's, what's going on. I mean, what we see on there, might, what we saw in the previews, might just be like the first half hour of the episode. And it might then uh, lead up to a, a, a cliffhanger, but when it is consistent with the what's been going on in the first half of the season instead of introducing a whole new set of you know stories and stuff going on um we'll we'll, we'll see what what ends up happening there so uh I, i'm yeah, very curious about that how they're, how it's going to play out so the question that i had and i know we talked offline about this is so let's say it does end next week but let's say adam horowitz from what he's alluding to seems to be true that maybe he didn't necessarily think that only 10 episodes would be in the first half do you expect this episode to be as climactic as a mid-season finale of seasons past? Or are you expecting this to be a more run-of-the-mill episode? Granted, it'll be as run-of-the-mill as this a weird episode that they're alluding to, structurally speaking, is. But I guess in comparison to other climactic mid-season finales. Um, I could see it being as... Well, I could see it still having the potential to be as climactic. Um I just don't know. Uh, I I just think that it's going to be setting up something that furthers like the next piece in the story we've been following, as opposed to teeing up a completely new story. Yeah, I agree with that. Because um, I think it'd be weird to like start an entire new path and then break for three months. I feel like they could do that in the beginning of the second half. I mean. We have not seen, again, anybody from the Land of Untold Stories after the whole Captain Nemo saga. So it, I feel like there are there is a little bit more in the tank for them to use come the second half of the season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So if any of you out there have any thoughts as to what next episode or the second half of the season may provide, or any other thoughts about this episode, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. As always, you can leave a comment on postshowrecaps.com. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed to our Once Upon a Time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. All of our podcasts drop right in there every week, and make sure you rate and review us as well. We greatly appreciate it. While you're here, make sure you're subscribed to everything going on on Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. You can check out our coverage of SNL, Seinfeld, The Walking Dead, Westworld. I don't often promote uh, non-Post Show Recaps RHAP coverage, but speaking of Westworld, I actually, at the time we're recording this, just got off of a really fun podcast where Josh Wiggler and Joe Garfine, who do the Westworld podcast here at Post Show Recaps, got together with myself and Jay and Jack from the Jay and Jack podcast, where we do our own coverage of Westworld, to do a preview of the finale. We give our own predictions, talk about theories, talk about what we've liked about the season so far. 
It's a lot of fun, so definitely check that out. It'll, it's available in the uh, the Westworld with J-Jack and Mike feed. I don't know if it'll be available in the uh, post-show recaps feed, but that was a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, there is more fun to be had with Kurt and myself in the immediate future in terms of podcasts. The Top Chef Judges Roundtable is back, Kurt. Oh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> So this season, uh, Kurt, myself, Josh Wiggler, Antonio Mazzaro will be back on reality TV wrap-ups covering every episode of this season of Top Chef. Season 14, fans versus favorites. Uh, There is going to be a lot of thoughts about the format and the cast, I'm sure, right out of the gate. Yeah, it'll be... uh, I'm wondering wondering how this is going to (laughs) go. Well, you can always follow us on Twitter. I'm at a Mike Bloom type. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. I'm sure we'd love to hear your opinions on Once Upon a Time and Top Chef as well once that season premieres on Thursday. But to finish things off here, Kurt, do you have a hashtag for people who made it to the end of the podcast? Is it Bellwatch? I think it's Bellwatch, yes. It's got to be Bellwatch. That was a fantastic uh, slip up there on Kurt's part, but it made me the most beautiful hashtag. So uh, congratulations on the birth of your baby hashtag, Kurt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Don't give it away anytime soon. No, not going to happen. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we greatly appreciate your listenership here. Uh, we will be back next week to recap what seems like the winter finale of Once Upon a Time, an episode that we think may have the proclivity to be a little weird, but that, of course, makes for great recapping. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. And remember, if you order anything from Granny's, I would pass up the chamomile tea. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Ooh,